This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. We have allowed ourselves to become so disconnected and ignorant about something that is as intimate as the food that we eat. Be prepared to grow your own for victory. God said I need somebody strong enough to clear trees and heave bales, yet gentle enough to yean lambs and wean pigs and tend the pink foamed pullets who will stop his mower for an hour to splint the broken leg of a meadowlark. So God made a farmer. Hello and welcome to the Modern Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Harold Thornbrough, and glad you're joining me again this week for this episode. On today's podcast, I'm going to share with you seven DIY homestead building projects that I think will make great additions to your homestead if you haven't already added them. Um, these are going to be simple and easy to build projects that really pretty much anybody can do. And I think they're just worth having on your homestead. There's just there's a couple of them I haven't done yet, but I'm hoping this is the year I get them on my homestead. Uh, the rest of them I have. But uh, I'd like to you know just take a few minutes and tell you all about those things. Also, I just want to tell you, I think lately I haven't been doing a great job on the podcast. I feel like I've been just squeezing it in when I've had a chance here and there. But hopefully today we can get kind of back on track. Things are starting to get a little bit back to normal around here. And, and uh, I think I think we got a good show for you today. I want to add some segments uh, to the podcast to try to, well, just make it a little bit better, maybe a little bit longer, and uh, just talk about some some a uh, little bit of a diversity of things other than only covering the main topic of the show. So I want to start out today first with a kind of an inspirational quote of the day. Um, this one comes from Margaret Atwood. She says, in the spring, at the end of the day, you should smell like dirt. And uh, I just like that because I resonate with it a little bit. Yeah, I, I think that that's the way we're meant to be. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, you really should smell like you've been out there working in the garden. And and to me, that's a good day. You know, there's a lot of days maybe you don't have the chance to do that. And you you don't like it as well, you know. You like the days when you can get out there and plug away in the garden, and it feels really good. I also want to do a segment, uh, and I'm hoping to do these things every week. I want to do a segment on on homesteading relevant news, and um, there was a couple articles this week that caught my eye. And one, the first one I want to tell you about is, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, this one it didn't really make me mad. It just kind of made me roll my eyes a little bit and and realize that there's some issues you know out there and this article i mean it sounds like it could have been written by big ag basically uh trying to support um the using of, of chemicals even though that's not really where they come at it from uh the article is from bloomberg and um the title is how organic produce can make America less healthy. And, um, and here's the subtitle it says claims that everyday fruit and vegetables are tainted by pesticides are having unforeseen having uncertain, having unforeseen consequences. Uh, here's the thing, this article, I'm not going to read the whole article. This was put out on March 9th, uh, this year. And, again bloomberg and the author is uh, dina shanker and 
let me just read a little bit of it. Um, Regardless of whether you're a, a parent or an environmentalist or just a plain old shopper, chances are you've gazed out over the supermarket produce section and asked yourself, should I buy organic? Everyone's heard of the scary chemicals used by agribusinesses to keep your apples worm free. It's what generates the fear that makes organic produce lucrative. In exchange for more money, consumers are told that they have pesticide-free peace of mind. On Wednesday, the Environmental Working Group, which calls itself a nonpartisan organization aimed at protecting human health and the environment, released its annual ranking of the best clean 15 and the worst dirty dozen uh, produce when it comes to pesticide content. The list is meant to be a tool for the consumer. If your favorite fruit is among the dirty dozen, the thinking goes you'd be safer buying organic. That makes sense to me, right? Well, article goes on to say, uh, strawberries and spinach hold the top two spots in this year's Dirty Dozen. More than 98% of samples tested positive for pesticide residue. One sample of strawberries, the report states, come uh, came with 20 different pesticides, while spinach uh, samples had on average double the amount of pesticide residue by weight as any of the other crops reviewed. When buying conventional, the guide says, try to stick with the clean 15. These fruits and vegetables, including sweet uh, sweet corn, mangoes, eggplant, and cabbage, had the fewest pesticides present, uh, fewest pre- had the fewest pesticides present and in the lowest concentrations. The guide also helps shoppers feel as if they are saving money safely. You don't need to cough up extra cash for already expensive avocados, for example, because only 1% had detectable pesticides. Okay, so far this article sounds beneficial. I would agree, you know, that things, um, you know, don't sound too bad so far. Well, it takes an ugly turn, though. Um Here it goes on to say, but experts in pesticides and toxicology say this annual list. Now, first of all, I'd like to know who these experts are. They're probably the people who are saying it's okay to to consume these pesticides in the first place. But it says that they're saying that this annual list, seen as helpful for sales of organic produce, oversimplifies a complicated issue. Just because pesticides are on an apple doesn't mean the apple is dangerous. Meanwhile, critics say the EWG survey muddies what is a what is much more important what is a much more important message for American consumers. Eat more fruits and vegetables, period. In fact, organic marketing that emphasizes the perceived threat of pesticide residue could be dissuading some consumers from buying fruits and vegetables at all, and that's really not healthy. Okay, I'm not going to read the whole article. I will have a link to this article in the show notes for you to look at yourself. It goes on to really talk about how they think that we should basically just stop, stop talking about uh, the pesticides and, and, and even the herbicides that, that are sprayed on GMO crops. We should stop talking about those things because all we're doing is convincing people not to eat vegetables at all. So it's better to eat poison vegetables than not any vegetables at all. I'll tell you, and I, and I, in some ways, I, I kind of understand why they're saying this, but this article just reeks of being bought and paid for by some lobbyist for, uh, for pesticides or something. I don't know. But the fact is, it, it goes on to say some things like, you know, they surveyed people and people who would have bought the vegetables say they just won't eat vegetables at all because they, they can't trust them and they can't afford the organic. Well, first of all, if a person's really that concerned about their health, uh, then they're going to want the vegetables, and they're either going to buy organic, go to go to uh, farmers markets, or they're going to grow them themselves. And that's what we're going to uh, preach here uh, on this podcast: is that you do need your vegetables. I think they're important. We need them.
but grow your own or go to a farmer's market or buy them from another organic uh, grower. Yeah, I agree. The organic vegetables in the grocery store, I won't even say way overpriced. They're overpriced, you know. Um, but I think a lot of it's because of government regulations that gets them to that high of a price. You can go to a farmer's market and buy, you know, I find some pretty good deals at farmer's markets. And most certainly, you know, what I grow in my backyard, I can grow cheap cheaper. Um, some people argue that. They say, you know, your, your vegetables aren't going to be as cheap growing them yourself. Well, I can grow mine pretty cheap. I just read this article and it, it makes me roll my eyes, but it also makes me kind of happy. Let me explain that. <laughs> uh, obviously, uh, what we're saying out here, me and others and, and, and many of you are saying out there to watch out for these uh, pest- pesticide, herbicide tainted vegetables it's starting to spread a message that's making them worry a little bit because they're trying to fight back and, and try to make other kinds of claims uh, to try to get some of their business back. And you really do speak with your wallet. If people aren't buying this stuff, um, they're going to find alternatives. At first, they're going to try to convince you that it's okay, which they've been trying to do for a long time. But I see this as a desperation article. So in some ways, I'm kind of happy to see an article like this because they're trying something desperate. I'm a little unhappy to see an article like this because I, I fear some people will actually believe it and think, yeah, we should just eat them, even if they're poisonous to us, right? Um, I don't know. You read the article yourself. Yeah, you can share any comments you have about it. But uh, it goes on to make the case that, you know, small amounts of these uh, poisons uh, are okay. They won't, they won't hurt you. You know, it'd be better to have a little bit of this than no vegetables. And yeah, I'm, I'm not going to agree with that. I think we got a, a real epidemic, um, because of this. And, um, yeah, I think eating vegetables is important, but that's why I really promote, uh, you know, growing them yourself. And I think that is the message we need to see here. We don't need to just tell people we, we shouldn't just preach the fear. We shouldn't just tell people about how, these pesticides are dangerous, but we ought to also point them to the alternatives. Look, you can get organic vegetables, uh, you know, at a fair price, or you can grow your own. Let me show you how. And we should not just be uh, um, yelling out the problem from the rooftops, but we should be yelling out the uh, solutions as well. So I thought I'd share that article with you. I thought it was pretty interesting. And there was another one that I ran across too that I thought this one was a little bit more inspirational and, and good. And, uh, and I, this one's actually a little older, I think, uh, a few a few months ago, but I ran across it just the other day. I thought, good article. Um, no, actually, it is. It published March 24th. I guess it just came out. I don't know why I was thinking it came out a while back. Um, and the title of this one is, a UC Berkeley Professor Shares Love of Edible Nutritious Weeds. I'd really just encourage you to go and read this article yourself. It is just encouraging. This professor goes out, and he's he's finding what edible weeds he has in his area, and he's you know, drawing a crowd and he's teaching, uh, while he's doing it, he's after picking, uh, snacks and dinner and whatnot from the weeds that are local in his area. And he's, uh, created quite a little stir in the area of other folks, uh, wanting him to teach them which ones are, uh, safe to eat and what you do with them. And I thought it was an encouraging article, uh, really good stuff. And, and, you know, that's, that's how contagious some of this stuff is. You know, people want to know many of these weeds were once grown as uh, food sources and, uh, you know, it's nice when people out there are sharing with others how you can still benefit uh, from these uh, so-called weeds. So it's a good article. I would suggest you go check it out. I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. Always good to hear a good story like that. Okay, just some updates around my homestead. What's been going on around here? Well, I've been doing a lot of seed starting uh, here recently. Got the peppers and the tomatoes and 
Oh, I don't know. A few other things. I was kind of excited. I'd, uh, I had purchased some uh, Achaka cucumber seeds from uh, an American homestead. I don't know if anybody's familiar with them, but they have a YouTube channel, uh, great, uh, great YouTubers. They, they show their off-grid homestead. and, and lot. But anyway, he was selling some Achaka cucumbers, and I heard about them from him. I'd never heard of them before. And um, he was showing what they look like and how describing how they tasted. And I thought I'd like to have some of those seeds. So I bought a pack of them and uh, got the first ones of those sprouted already. So they're in the greenhouse and starting to take off. And I'm excited about getting those planted and uh, trying some achaca cucumbers. I, I can't wait to get my hands on some of those and give those a try. And hopefully I can um, get the seeds from the ones I grow and just keep them going from here on out. And always have achaca cucumbers if I like them. I think, I think I'm going to like them. They look, they look like they they taste really good. So, and from the description I've heard of them, they, they sound really good. So I'm excited about the achaca cucumbers. Um, oh yeah. I got to remember to take quail eggs out of my jacket pocket before I go to work. Uh, I, I did that, uh, once this week and had a, you know, a few, uh, quail eggs in my pocket. None of them busted. I went through an entire day of work without busting any of them, but I was a little bit nervous about it all day. Just trying to make sure I didn't bump up against anything with all these, uh, eggs in my pocket. <laughs> um, Oh, I also wanted to tell you, I was out today at, uh, Menards and, uh, they had Mason B, uh, houses there. And I actually purchased one of them. It was like 12 bucks or something. And it looks pretty nice. And, uh, I'm excited about having some Mason bees in my, uh, in my yard also so there's a little homestead update for you we're going to have mason bees hopefully this year just try to draw them in or whatnot but uh that'd be some good good for the pollination of the trees and and the berries and uh of course the the garden in general so excited about mason bees so uh you might want to check with your local store uh uh hardware store menards lowe's they're all starting to carry things like this so um yeah it might be something worth hanging up close to your garden and trying to draw in some bees and keep them in there uh, the main topic of the show today, though, is uh, I want to talk about seven building projects to kind of do-it-yourself projects, and and these are these are things you can build yourself. These are things that I think can add a lot to your homestead, and uh, with most of these things, there's some plans uh, that I'll have links to in the uh, show notes at other websites and such that you might want to check out if you're interested in, in, in building any of these. And the first one I want to tell you about is a solar dehydrator. Now the plans that I found for these were at mother earth news, really good detailed plans. And, um, boy, I just tell you, there's so many benefits to having a solar dehydrator. I mean, if you, you think to yourself, well, I have a dehydrator that I can use in the house or whatever, but you know, to be able to just to put stuff on trays, slide them in the back of it, it you know, it's, it's, it's a large, uh, unit that you're going to have out there. You can do a lot at one time and you can use the power of the sun to do it. So of course it's, you know, it's an environmental thing. It does take up a little space cause it's much bigger than one you would have on your kitchen table, uh, dehydrating things. But you know, I think it's cool. I think it's a cool thing to have on your homestead and, uh, and definitely something worth building. Um, it kind of, it's a, it's, the design of it is kind of like a hockey stick, but kind of like laying on its side with the part you would hit the puck with at the top. But it's way, you know, of course, I'm talking way bigger. I'm just talking about the shape here. And uh, the sun, you paint this thing black and, and, and it reflects on the inside of it. It kind of soaks in that heat and then it rises up to the back. And then you have the screens that you slide into the back of it. And you just lay whatever you're wanting to de- dehydrate on those screens. And... Um, of course it works. They work great. I've seen several of this design, a little bit different variations of it. And this happens to be one of the things that I have not built myself, uh, but I'm excited to. It's I've 
I keep saying this is the year I'm probably going to build one, but I think I've said that for the last couple of years. So I'm hoping that I get around to building this this year. Um, but I think it's something worth having on your homestead. Uh, I would like to do a whole lot more dehydrating than I currently do. And I think this would be a great way to do it. So uh, build a solar dehydrator. And if you want to see the plans, the plans I plan on following are the ones from Mother Earth News. And the uh, link to that is in the show notes. The second thing I want to tell you about as far as, uh, as far as a building project goes is an outdoor garden wash station. Now, I did build one of these uh, last spring. And I had an old pop-up camper that I, I it was kind of rotten, you know, the, the canvas on it was bad and stuff. And I took it all apart to make a trailer out of it. Well, when I did that, of course, I, I tried to reuse a lot of the material that was in it. And it had a uh, it had a kitchen sink in it, of course. So I took that kitchen sink out and uh, I had some scrap two-by-fours and, and, and one-by-sixes and things like that laying around. And I built a outdoor garden wash station where I could wash off my vegetables and things like that. And there's a lot of benefits to that. And I think it's worth having. Uh, you can, uh, I mean, some of the benefits I think to have why you might want to build one of these is it, it helps to keep the garden soil in the garden. I mean, we work hard to build a good, vibrant, living soil, right? So why do we want to just wash it down the kitchen drain? Because that's what happens a lot of times. We bring our vegetables in, there's a little bit of dirt on them, and we wash them off inside. Well, if you have that drain at your station, at your little wash station, uh, empty into a bucket or draining directly into a garden bed, you know what? You can, he can hang on to that valuable soil and keep it where it belongs, right? So I think it's worth having just for that reason alone. Also, I think you can make the most out of your water. Um, I tell you, I used to just cringe when I washed off my, my vegetables in the kitchen sink and I'd think about all the water I was wasting. But by having a garden wash station, you can make the most of your water by getting a second use out of it. Because, again, you're catching that water. You can reuse it in the garden. You can have it drain right into your garden, maybe drain into a swell or something like that. And you're reusing that water. You're getting more use out of it. I think a third reason you might want to have a garden wash station is you can keep the mess out of the kitchen. (laughs) I mean, uh, it can be pretty stressful. And I think any chance we get to get a little stress out of our life uh, by keeping the mess outside where it's easier to clean up is good. Um, cause you know, after a while of trimming and scrubbing and washing, you can just grab a hose and spray down the whole station and the job's done. So it's a lot quicker on cleanup as well. So I just think it's great for that reason. And also I think probably one of the greatest reasons of all to have a garden outside outdoor garden wash station is guess what? You get to spend even more out time outdoors near your garden. And, um, I don't know about you, but anytime I can spend a little more time outside near my garden, I consider it a uh, time well spent, right? So, uh, yeah, I think building a garden wash station is uh, great to have. Build it near your garden, um, preferably in a shady spot if you can find a spot or it has evening shade anyway. Um, place where you can, you know, get the drain back to the garden or, or not have to carry the water too far if you do put it into a bucket, which is what I do. I have mine drained into a bucket and then I just carry it out there and I reuse that water. Um, you want to build your garden wash station with some significant counter space. That way you got a place to set the dirty vegetables on one side, the sink in the middle, and then a place on the other side to set your clean vegetables or your, your bowls to catch your clean vegetables. So, you know, you'll want to design it in that way. Again, this can be built out of scrap materials mostly. You need a fair, you know, one of the mistakes, I, one thing I wish I would have done a little different is maybe not have used the sink that I used out of that pop-up camper. Uh, because it's not a real big sink. And I think I would have rather had a little bit deeper basin, a little bit wider, uh, just been a little bit easier to get things under it. 
uh, perhaps or down in it. So uh, maybe a, a larger sink would be better. Maybe a full-size kitchen sink inside of one would be really nice, and I didn't do that. Uh, a lot of people use wash tubs and things like that and just kind of sink them down in a, in a cabinet or a counter and use that. Um, of course, you want your drainage to be able to be utilized in, in the, uh, the garden, so you'll want to you know, set up the hoses and such for that to work. And you need a decent faucet for it. I actually made my faucet. Uh, I actually just took some pipe, and I tried to make it kind of decorative, and you can see pictures of it on my website. Um, I'll have a link to the actual uh, blog post I wrote about it last year when I built it. And I, I took an old, like one of them old camp-style um, camp coffee pots, and uh, one of the tall coffee pots with the little, you know, the lid on the top. And I wasn't using it as an extra one I had. And I just kind of drilled a hole through the bottom of it and I plumbed it out. I actually ran a pipe up through it and out it and, and shaped it like a faucet out the front of it and put a little valve on the side of the counter, just a regular old, uh, like 90 degree valve. You can just open up and close. And it works great. Uh, it turns off and on just fine. It looks really cool to have this, have this coffee pot, like it's pouring out water into your sink. And uh, I just made it a little decorative because, you know, I'm like that. I like to have a little fun, <laughs> but it works great. Uh, so you can get creative or you can just take a, a standard old uh, sink faucet and make something out of it that way or uh, however you want to do it. But you want to have a decent faucet. Now, the counter, like I said, you can make this out of some scrap wood. I had scrap two by fours and some mine isn't real long. I've got just enough room to set a basket of of dirty produce on one side and a bowl on the other and just kind of wash it off and take it over to the other side. Works really good. Uh, I just had two by fours. And like I said, uh, actually, I used some one by tens to uh, make the countertop. And uh, yeah, it was a real simple build. It uh, looks nice. It's a great addition to the garden. And I think you could really benefit from having an outdoor garden wash, wash station. The second thing, or the third thing I want to talk about is, but it's the second thing that I don't have that I have in this list. And that is a uh, outdoor brick wood oven. Um, I want one of these really bad. It's, they call them pizza ovens or whatever, but people cook anything in them. I mean, throw a chicken in there, you cook, bake bread in it. You can do, use it like an oven. But you get you a nice hot bed of coals, and you push them to the back after it gets all heated up. And then they have a little door you can put on the front. Um, brickwoodovens.com has some great plans and materials for building your, your very own brickwood oven. I think these things are a great addition to a homestead. I, I'm going to build one of these. I want one really bad. And I think it would be great to be able to go out there and fire this thing up up and uh, cook your dinner in it and uh, again just a just a great uh, opportunity to be outside more be near garden uh, be out enjoying the weather um, also just keeping the heat out of your house have it outside at that oven would be nice too in the summertime so I think they're just a great addition it can be a little costly depending on the design you go with uh, what I like about the plans at Brickwood uh, BrickwoodOvens.com is they actually have these molds and you basically you you basically set and you build it around these molds. It tells you how the exact layout and how you put your bricks around it and form it, and it has a perfect form in there when you're done. So these things are really nice. I, I love the idea that it can be a little costly, like I said, depending on which design you go with. Some of the designs are really expensive. But, you know, a basic one uh, it looks nice and uh, has great function and would be a great addition to your homestead. So uh, I'll have a link there in the show notes also to brickwoodovens.com. Also, the show notes for this episode, I guess I should probably tell you that, are at smalltownhomestead.com forward slash 59. This is episode 59. So, yeah, you'll be able to see all these links that I'm talking about at there. So um, Now, the next thing I want to talk about is something I actually talked about last week, and I just feel like, I don't know, uh, I, I become more and more convinced that every homestead should have one of these, and that's an herb spiral. 
And uh, if you're into permaculture at all, it's almost a required thing to have, I think, in your backyard to have an herb spiral. So uh, I think they're great, though. I think there's just so many benefits to having one. You can, you can build them out of just about any scrap materials or rocks or, or whatever. Uh, you just need a mound of soil and some materials to just make your spiral with. Now, um, I actually just watched a uh, Bill Mollison video where he just talks about making them. Now, the the, the one I made and, and the, some of them I've seen made before, people lay down the spiral first and then fill it with dirt. They basically build their spiral up and then fill it with the soil. Uh, Bill Mollison says not to do that. He said just mound up a dirt, uh, mound up a pile of soil about you know six foot in diameter, and to a point about three foot high. Okay, so you're bringing it up like a like a cone, about three foot high, six foot wide, all the way around, and then uh, start laying your uh, spiral around it, and kind of like taking a shovel and kind of like flattening out where your spiral is going to sit on the edges, and then spiral it up. And he says it's a lot quicker, a lot easier, and it'll settle down a little bit, and it'll kind of flatten down just a little bit. But it's a lot easier to build that way. And I thought, why wow, that would be a lot easier to build. Than, than the way I've seen it done, the way I did it. So uh, their video, I actually, uh, I have a link in the show notes, and it's uh, an article from permaculturenews.org, and and there's some instructions in there on building a spiral, but there's actually that video of Bill Mollison talking about building one is in that uh, in that article. So uh, check that out. I think it's worth watching, and uh, it talks about some of the benefits as well of having an herb spiral um, in your garden. So uh, great addition to the garden um something that i built about three years ago and i can't even imagine my backyard without this now i guess i've had it four years four years ago i put this in and that's a backyard garden pond it's not a big pond i have about a probably about a i don't know 150 gallon pond in the backyard it's not huge i mean it's pretty good size but for a small backyard but wow what a beneficial thing to have in your uh, have in your backyard um I mean, you're going to draw in a lot of animals, you know, like frogs and things. We had a little bit of a slug problem around here. Well, we brought in frogs, and guess what? I noticed last year we didn't really have a slug problem. I don't know if it's because the frogs uh, are, are eating them. I mean, I heard that they'll eat the slugs, but we've always had a slug problem around here, and I've got a lot of mulch, and I don't, I don't remember seeing a single slug, seeing a single slug last year, and I think it's because the frogs that are in that pond. Um, and just we got some koi fish and some goldfish in there, and we got some uh, water lilies that make nice flowers and some stuff called water lettuce that really makes some nice flowers and really pretty to look at. And you know what? Sometimes I, I do a little bit of water change for the fish. And guess what? I don't waste that water. That water goes on the garden. And, you know, and that's good, nutrient-rich water. I pour that on the gar- gardens and they seem like they just love it. Things really come to life in a day or two after I pour that water on the garden. So I'll do about it every two weeks. I'll I'll probably empty out a quarter of that pond and fill it with fresh water and uh, just use that water with, throughout the gardens and stuff. And I think it works good, you know. And I'm also going to use that pond to uh, run a pump in through some uh, wicking beds that I'm going to build in my... my uh, greenhouse i've talked about that a couple times but i just think there's so much you can do with a small garden pond i'd like to actually get some water chestnut and grow in it at some point those things are hard to find it's hard to find something to start with on that but i would like to uh, use it to even uh, grow some food at some point so there's just a lot of benefit it draws in you know a lot of wildlife that is beneficial to your garden and i just think it's worth having and 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 all that aside they're just great to look at 
you know i mean it's just a it's just a beautiful addition to the backyard and it's so worth looking at it doesn't have to be expensive you know Something Bill Molson talked about back on the Herb Spiral. He said when you come down to the spiral at the very bottom, you can actually have it to where it goes into a little pond. And he said that he would actually do that. He would actually run a little bit underground with the spiral and have a little pond at the end and actually have some uh, water chestnut in there uh, growing. And I thought, wow, that's uh, that's pretty awesome. I mean, you could just take that spiral right underground and turn a little pond in at the end. And I'd make a nice little pond. I've seen people take tires and sink them down in the ground and then just take some, um, you know, like some construction plastic or something like that. That stuff may not last forever, but if it's that small of a pond, it wouldn't be hard to redo every couple of years. Um, you know, and then plant a few little plants and make them look really nice. And it's a small pond. It's right in the middle of your garden or something, and it just looks really good. And it draws in. It really does create a little microclimate and draw in some uh, some wildlife that's beneficial. So, yeah, I think having a garden pond is real, really worth it. Like I said, I spent a little bit of money on mine, but not much. I actually bought – mine's actually one of them hard ponds. It's one of the hard plastic ponds that you sink down in the ground. And I actually found that on Craigslist. Somebody had took it out, and I can't remember. And like I said, it's a pretty good size one, 150-gallon or something like that. And I think I paid like 50 bucks or something. And it came with all the rocks that went around it and, and, and things like that. So, And then the pump was bad. I had to buy a pump. I, I probably got less than $100 in my pond. And I just think it's a great, great little uh, addition to my backyard. So I would advise putting one in. I think they're great to look at. And they actually do serve a purpose, too, on your homestead. Okay, one of the most basic things that every homesteader ought to have is a compost bin. Well, you can build a compost bin out of scrap materials. You can use pallet wood or, or just some scrap wood you have around. I mean, you don't have to use anything. You can just make compost piles. But having a compost bin is nice. You can compartmentalize it. And kind of the, the one that I think works best is you have, like, these three compartments. And then what you'll do is you'll put your stuff in the one. It starts decomposing. And then you just take a – you can take, like, a, a hay rake or, or a shovel and just flip it into the next bin. And then you'll flip it into the next one after a while again. So you have this constant rotation where you're starting the next one and then you're flipping it over and then putting it into that one again. And you just get this rotation. Well, by the time it gets to the third bin, sets so for a short time. By the time your first bin is ready uh, to flip over, that last bin is ready to take out and that's finished compost and you can put that on your garden. So you can take and pallets and you'll see them like three wide in the back. And then you have them divided up. You have a pallet on one end, pallet on the other end, and then the two pallets separating the middle. And that makes three bins. So for basically three, four, five, six, seven pallets, you have a you know a nice compost bin. You can do this in a million ways. I've seen it. Some people put lids on them to keep them less moist. I mean, uh, there's different things you can do. I would advise a good way to look at that uh, is look on um, Pinterest. Pinterest has great ideas for things like that. So look at some of the designs out there and the ones that work best for you. And that's what I have. I have the three uh, three compartments and just flip it over and keep it going that way. Uh, really moving more onto the vermicomposting, though, these days. But I, I really still use that. And, I mean, that's where the, the scrap vegetables, a lot of times, the whatever goes in there. And, and, you know, we keep those composted. But, yeah, it's worth having. Every homestead should have one. And if you don't have one, you really should build one. Find a find a place out by a garage or something like that away from 
You initially, you know, finished compost doesn't smell at all. Initially, when you first put stuff in there, you're going to get just a little bit of smell. Depends on what you put in there, of course, too. You're going to get a little bit of smell, so you don't want to ride it next to your house or anything. Um, and the good thing about making it to where maybe you got a fold up front and maybe a closing top is you can keep some some animals out of it that might want to get in and eat your scraps, like possums and stuff. So yeah, it might be worth making an enclosure or putting chicken wire, uh, maybe a fold down chicken wire front on it. Uh, we can fold that up and keep keep animals out. So, uh, yeah, look at some different designs on that. There's some great designs out there. So, uh, the last thing I want to talk about that I think is a great addition to a homestead, and that's a potting bench. And you think, well, I don't really need a potting bench. I go out there every spring, and I, you know, I sit on the picnic table or whatever, or, you know, on my deck, and I just plant pot up everything, get everything going, ready. Well, the benefit to having a potting bench is, well, for one thing, you have a designated place for that. Okay, you're going to have a designated place where you keep your pots, you keep your little hand trowels and things like that, your little shovels, whatever. Keep your soil there. You, you just got supplies there. Okay, you might have a little cabinet underneath where you can throw some things in there. And you have a designated place. Well, a couple things. First, it, it makes that initial time a lot easier. But it also encourages uh, succession planting. Well, you're going to grow a whole lot more vegetables if you do that. Uh, when one thing's about done, you put another thing in its place. Well, if you have a constant circulation of, of things being potted up and seed starting all summer long, you just constantly are replacing those things in your garden that are being used up. And and you find yourself growing a lot more uh, vegetables, a lot more food, and and it just becomes a place where you go and you spend time. Now, I have one that I've built in my greenhouse where I put it in my greenhouse. But even if you don't have a greenhouse... Just having a designated place in the shade outside somewhere where you can pot up some vegetables, build you a potting bench. It's it's really worth having, and it'll just be a it'll be a great place for you to spend time. A nice comfortable place where all your supplies are always there, and um, and again, you know, do it do a, an image search on um, on the internet, and you'll see some just great ideas out there for building some of these things. I. Uh, I was jealous. I, w- I did that before I did the podcast, just looking around some different designs and stuff. And I'm almost wishing I had done mine a little bit different. I might be changing some things on mine because I actually liked what I saw on a couple of them. So yeah, browse around. I like to have the shelves up at the top there. You have like a back on it with some shelves at the top where you could set some things. And I'd like to have done that. So there, there's, there's some great ideas out there. Find one you like and, and get to, to it. And I'll tell you, that's something you can build. Uh, mine's built out of pallet wood. Um, I had some small pallets. Uh, they're like quarter size pallets, and I built them out of that, and uh, it came out great. So you know, build build you a, build you a nice potting bench. I think it's something you won't regret. So there you have it. Seven things I think that are easy to do. Uh, building projects. Some of them are a little bit more complicated. Like the food dehydrator is going to be a little bit more complicated. The brick oven is going to be a little more complicated. But, again, these are things worth doing, I think, that will just add to your homestead, uh, make your garden more enjoyable, make spending time out in your yard more enjoyable, and uh, just be great additions to your homestead. So there you have it, seven DIY building projects for your homestead. Here at the end of the show, I want to talk about a couple recommendations. I'd like to start doing this every week. I share some recommendations occasionally in our Facebook group, the Homestead Front Porch. By the way, I always have to plug the Homestead Front Porch, don't I? We have over 6,000 members in that group now. I can't I can't really believe it. And uh, we have some great conversations in there. 
And if you want to be a part and you're not yet a part of the Homestead Front Porch Facebook group, just do a search on Facebook, Homestead Front Porch. It's a closed group, but all you have to do to join is ask, and we'd love to have you in there and being part of the conversations. A lot of good homesteading uh, stuff, especially gardening stuff here lately. Of course, it's that time of the year. Gardens are on everybody's mind. Uh, a lot of great stuff going on in there in the Homestead Front Porch. So come be a part of it if you're not already. Um, but anyway, I do recommend some things occasionally in there. What I'd like to do is start maybe every week, have a couple recos. You know, just here's a couple things I want to recommend uh, for today's show. And, and this week, I want to tell you about a couple things. One, a new podcast I found. And a great podcast. I think she's doing a great job. She's not real in, uh, deep into it yet, 26, 27 episodes, something like that. Uh, the ep- it's called Living Free in Tennessee. And that's the website, Living Free in Tennessee. Uh, dot com i think it's uh, it's what it is hold on i'll just make sure that's what that is now that i'm sitting here looking at it yep living free in tennessee.com yep she's up to episode 28 actually um great little podcast you know she does a pretty long show uh you know hour hour and a half i think uh, listening to it but i really enjoyed it i started listening to her last week and i listened to two or three episodes and i was like that's really good and um i think it's one you'll enjoy so uh check that out I think it's a great podcast, and uh, I don't know this. I don't know her. Uh, Nicole Sauce is her name, and uh, she. Uh, I know she's a big Jack Spearco fan. I hear her talking about Jack Spearco a lot in his podcast, which is another great one. Um, but uh, she is actually lives down where I used to live uh, in Tennessee, uh, in the same town as where I used to live. Actually, I think she, you know, she's close to there. Uh, she lives down by in the Cookville, Tennessee area. I went to high school there, so you know, I. I that, that right there just uh, kind of drew me to the podcast. Anyway, I didn't even know that till I started listening to her and I heard her mention it. And I was like, well, wow. So we're you know kind of from the same area there. So, uh, yeah, it's a, good, it's a good podcast. Go check that one out. That's one of my recommendations for today. Uh, also, I want to tell you, and I did share this in the Homestead Front Porch a while back. And if you have Netflix, uh, there is a uh, documentary on there called Sustainable. So just search on Netflix for Sustainable. And it's a really good documentary worth watching. If you don't have Netflix, I think you can. Uh, there's a link in the show notes or to the uh, to the documentary. And let's see where else it's at. It's also and Amazon also, uh, not YouTube. Just uh, you can also see it on Amazon. So uh, you know, it's something you can even rent and watch on uh, VHX. I don't even know what VHX is, but you can watch it there. Really good. Um, Really good documentary worth, worth taking some time, especially for free on Netflix. If you can watch it for free on Netflix, it's really worth watching. So I would uh, recommend you go see that. It has a lot to say about the uh, the modern-day food movement, you know, to organic uh, practices and things like that. Kind of spits in the face of, to, against everything that I said earlier in that one article <laughs> that they wrote about in that first article I talked about in the news. Um so, yeah, a couple recommendations there for you. The documentary, Sustainable, and check out the Living Free in Tennessee podcast. Good stuff there. Um, I also want to just take a minute here at the end of this podcast. Just to thank everybody that makes this podcast possible. You know, I've, I've been doing this for a couple years now. Um, not always consistently. There was some time there where I got away from it for a couple months, and then this last time we've had a little bit of a hiccup here. But I want to thank those who uh, make it possible. You know, there's a few of you who support us through Patreon, and I want to thank you for that. And there's been a few that's donated through PayPal, and I appreciate that as well. Also, there's some who um, who shop Amazon through our affiliate link. And, and you know, I always appreciate that. 
uh, that doesn't cost anybody any extra to do, but then you can just go to our website or go to the show notes and you'll find an Amazon link at the bottom of the, um, the episode show notes here. And, uh, you can click on that. And then when you purchase something through Amazon, you know, there's a kickback that comes back to us for referring that. So always appreciate folks that do that. And uh, I'm also just thankful to those who encourage us uh, by leaving an iTunes review or sharing this podcast with others. You know, I've had a lot of great uh, uh, iTunes reviews here recently, and I really appreciate that. And uh, I've been a little bit shocked by that. We've never received anything less than a five-star review. And, you know, I know there's better podcasts out there. Uh, I just appreciate that. You know, uh, I really do. Um, I know sometimes the quality isn't isn't perfect and sometimes I cut the podcast kind of short or rush through it because I'm in a hurry and sometimes I just want to get something out to you guys because I feel like I just want to do something you know even if I don't have time I try to squeeze something in and it may not come out to be the best podcast ever but I try to get something out to you when I can even if it isn't at its best so I appreciate those of you who recognize that and yet still give me a five-star review because you know I'm trying and you know every once in a while there's a there's just a a great nugget in in the podcast that might help you out or encourage you so I appreciate that, and um, and all of you who uh, help the help us out any way you can, uh, either financially or just by sharing the podcast. And you know, I've watched the numbers uh, increase about five times uh, what they started out with or last year. And uh, so, I mean, we've really came up in our numbers, and I really appreciate that. So uh, that's because of you. You're sharing it. You're listening, and I appreciate it. Anyway, that's the show for this week. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. I hope you'll get out there this spring and get started on them building projects. Maybe there's some things you think a homestead should have, and you want to maybe share that with us. You can jump into the show notes here and leave a comment, or you can jump into the homestead front porch and say, you know, those are some great suggestions, but I think the homestead ought to have this. Here's another great building project. I'd love to hear about it. Uh, maybe a different way to do any of those things I talked about today. love to hear about that too. Yeah. Have fun. Have a great spring. And until next week, happy homesteading. And God bless. Thanks for listening. To see the show notes for this podcast or listen to other podcast episodes, go to smalltownhomestead.com. There you can also read our blog, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, and take advantage of the many resources we make available to help you along in your homesteading journey. Please share this podcast and help us to carry out our mission of helping others to homestead today for a better tomorrow.